0: Hi, my name is Pastor Tony Garbarino of Providence Presbyterian Church. We're delighted that you tuned in to hear a message from God's Word. If you'd like to find more information about us, please go to providencefw.org, providencefw.org. We seek to be Bible-based, gospel-saturated, and Christ-centered. So please enjoy now this message. Thanks for coming. If you would, take your copy of the Scriptures and turn to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, Corinthians 2. We continue this morning... 2 Corinthians, the second half of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4, beginning verse 13, but before we hear from the Lord, let's once again go to Him in prayer and ask His blessing upon the preaching and hearing of that Word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come again before You. We praise You. We thank You for this, Your Word. We, We ask, Lord, that At this moment, you would let the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. We do confess that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from your mouth. And we ask this time, dear Lord, that you would give us a great appetite for this, your word, that it may indeed nourish our souls in the ways of eternal life and all to your glory. Be with us now, we pray, dear Lord. Give us focus and attention, arrest our hearts and minds to hear you speaking to us now. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 13 through 18. Please give your attention now. This is the word of our God. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So for the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Well, in that passage in Romans that we heard, the context of that, uh, Paul talks about childbirth, and he makes this analogy Um, of the longing of creation and the pain and the result and most of us have some conceptual idea of childbearing, of childbirth rather. Um, Of course mothers uniquely know the pains of childbirth. Um, And it's an indisputable fact that as we grow older we understand and so we appreciate most things better. right? And those of us who become fathers or mothers, we begin to realize that we appreciate our fathers and mothers in ways that we hadn't appreciated them before. Uh, at least we understand them better, right? And when we have children, this is even more the case. Uh, and when we have children, as fathers, we realize just how strong mothers are, right? And, 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 as, and us fathers are very thankful that childbirth in God's providence is a unique thing for mothers, right? We're thankful for that. Uh, but one of Paul's points is that in the end, it was all worth it, right? In the end, it's all worth it. We read Romans because it gives us this divine picture of our suffering as we await the consummation of all things. In fact, as we read there, all of creation eagerly awaits the consummation, right that time when all things will be made new, the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth. And part of our suffering, Paul says there, is that no, it, it, part of it is our knowing and longing for Christ's return, to put an end once and for all to sin to usher in that full and final new heavens and new earth, our resurrected bodies, and all the rest. And this provides a good backdrop as we continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in Paul's discussion, what he's been talking about there. Right? He had just made the case that death was at work as he labored for and preached the gospel. Right? He was, death was at work. But for the Corinthians, life was at work in them. Right? All that Paul and his fellow ministers went through was worth it in the end. Was worth it in the end because the gospel of life had its full effect, as God intended. And so 2 Corinthians 4, verses 13 to 18, tell us that we indeed can have confidence, right? This is not an uncommon theme in the New Testament, particularly in Paul. Uh, He he emphasizes this and he digs in. He does so because we suffer. We suffer, but we can have confidence through that suffering. And because of the certainty of Christ's resurrection, We can have this confidence for certain, right? And so this passage, as we look at it, gives us the knowledge of the resurrection and then the reason for the ministry and then the rejoicing of the redeemed, right? The knowledge of the resurrection, the reason for the ministry, and then the rejoicing of the redeemed. As we look at this first point, the first point of the knowledge of the resurrection in verses 13 and 14, uh, we see that Paul turns to the Old Testament and he gives us an illustration from there about what they are currently going through, what he's currently going through. And he refers to the Old Testament, Psalm 116, and that's the psalm where David mentions the suffering of the righteous. Right, Psalm 116, verse 10, he says, I believe, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. And Paul is saying he believes the same gospel promises as he proclaims to his hearers the same spirit of faith. And he quotes David about trusting God in the midst of trial and proclaiming the glories of God in the face of ongoing hard times, suffering, trials, affliction. And in that psalm, Psalm 116, verse 15, we read these wonderful words of comfort that are surely on Paul's mind as he writes to the Corinthians. Psalm 116, 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. And so Paul's preaching, he preaches the gospel, and it's grounded in the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. And who will bring Paul and all those along with him who embrace the gospel into the presence of God when they die. And so we go to verse 13 of our text this morning. And again, he says, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. How does he have confidence and assurance and faith and speak? How do we have confidence and belief and faith and so speak? Well, we can have assurance and confidence of our subjective and objective future reality. The present reality, right? The future and the present. There's the fact of our bodily resurrection uh, and also the inner subjective reality of God's working in our hearts, right? Through the presence of the Spirit. The reality outside of us and the reality inside of us. And that knowledge and confidence and assurance that Paul speaks of, it's based on the objective historical fact, the factual reality of Christ's resurrection. And that should give us comfort and encourage us and give us boldness and on and on. We know that he who raised, Paul says, he who raised the Lord will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's a mind-boggling line there. It's amazing. It's a glorious promise indeed. And this is something what Paul said earlier in Romans 8 that we read. Romans 8 chapter 11 when it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See what an emphasis, the spirit dwelling in you, that same spirit giving you life, giving life to your mortal bodies. And this is, Paul said the same thing in the first letter of the Corinthians 6.14. He says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that an encouraging thing? and all of our sufferings, and all the things that we go through. Indeed it is. It is a glorious promise that should never become mundane to us, or ho-hum, indifferently thought of. It's a glorious reality for the people of God. And I wonder, do you believe that God raised the crucified Jesus from the dead that first resurrection Sunday? Do you trust and know, therefore, that he will also raise you and bring you into his presence? Those are amazing claims of his amazing grace. But we can know it. Why? Because it happened. We can know it because it happened. And because Christ was raised, because of all that He accomplished, the Spirit is given to His people to believe all that He tells us. And we do. So may we indeed believe and trust and know this glorious truth, brothers and sisters, for all of our lives. May we know because of His resurrection and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, And we know and have assurance of our future resurrection promised to us indeed. And I pray that that's the case for you, that you believe and trust in Christ for your lives and for your assurance and for your confidence through this life, as you know the assurance and the certainty of your resurrection in that last day, that great harvest that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. Glorious, glorious things indeed. And may this indeed impact all that you do, in all of your joy and suffering in this life until we meet him there. But this is the reason that Paul refuses to rely on his own eloquence or his own personality or his own talents. Because those things have no significance when it comes to dealing with man's problems, Right, the guilt and power of sin, or the curse-caused death that we all face. It's not those things. It's the Spirit working through the truth of the message of the gospel. And so Paul brings this discussion back from the grounding of the gospel to the goal of it all in verse 15. And it's all for the good, for their good, and for the glory of God. That's what he says in verse 15. Listen to him. Verse 15 says, For it is all for your sake, so that grace, as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Right. And so Paul says he will continue to preach despite his sufferings, Despite the the persecution that he goes through. Despite being uh, despairing unto death itself, he says. Why? Because God has called him to do so. Because he loves his Lord Jesus. And because he loves the Corinthians. It is all for your sake, he says. All that he did, all that he suffered and experienced, it was all for their sake. In order that the abundant grace shown to Paul through the thanksgiving of many that flows from their blessing, which came through the Spirit working through Paul's gospel ministry and sufferings and his deliverance. Right? Why? So that it all may redound to the glory of God. It all may abound to his glory. Right? You see it right there. Paul is saying that the favor shown to him abounds to the glory of God because others are what? They're led to give thanks for God's grace and favor. And notice, too, the consistency of this word. Of God that we have. Recall in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, he strongly emphasizes the unity of the church. The church is one, it's an organic, connected body, right? He said, If one suffers, all suffer. If one is honored, all rejoice with him. And if Paul was delivered from his enemies, the whole body gave thanks to God for that deliverance, right? And grace shown to Paul was shown to all. And it was multiplied numerous times, resulting in Great thanksgiving to God. God being glorified in thanks and praised, you see. We know this also from places like Ephesians 1, 8 and 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and other instances, right? This, this, this fact of Scripture uh, that grace causes thanksgiving to abound. Right, Grace increases thanksgiving. Um, and so as Paul continues to preach this glorious gospel, what happens? Right? More and more people receive God's grace And God's people will respond by giving thanks to God for all that He's done for them in Christ Jesus. And all of this is what, ultimately, the telos of this, the end point, the goal of it all is for the glory of God and for the sake of His people, because for their people, they will glorify God. Regardless of frailty and weakness, Paul's faith is firm and anchored in hope. And despite our frailty and weakness Our faith is anchored in hope as well. Hope of the glory of the ministry and power and magnitude of the new covenant of which Paul has been speaking. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of Christ's resurrection we have hope and assurance and certainty. And all is for the expansion and increase ultimately of God's glory. Isn't that wonderful the way that that works? It's wonderful indeed. Our good in His glory. So verse 15 here, it bridges us from the first part, 13 and 14, to 16 and 18, right? We have the resurrection, the reason, and then rejoicing, right? This third point, rejoicing. In verse 16, remember, uh, remember verse 1, Paul returns and says again in verse 16, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And Paul gives a a summary here of the doctrine of sanctification, right? In brief, in summary, in a nutshell. Because from birth, he says, we begin to waste away. And I know we live our lives in denial of it. But honest hearts and minds cannot deny this for very long. You don't have to live very long to realize uh, that this is true, right? If you doubt this, find someone with silver in their hair and ask them, and they'll confirm all that I'm telling you. Uh, and aside from politics, this, this industry, this wasting away deny, denial industry is one of the most lucrative industries there are. Right? We shouldn't be shocked at the numbers as we hear them. Right? As I looked this up this week. Very conservative estimates say that almost 3 million people die every year in our country alone. 3 million people. Almost 700,000 to heart disease. 600,000 to cancer every year, right? this doesn't include the murders that take place, not to mention the taking of a precious unborn human lives through the blight of abortion in our land and across the country, right? Those numbers I mentioned might shock some of you. 700,000, 600,000 every year. Those numbers don't mention things like murders or abortion. Those aren't included. And I wonder if you had to guess, How many babies' lives are lost each year through abortion? I wonder if you you know what this is. If you had to guess, what would you say? What if I told you it was approximately 2,500 per day? Per day. That's 900,000 lives lost per year in our country alone. That is ghastly. That's about 40 to 50 million reported deaths this way. Worldwide. Those are unnatural deaths. right? Those are ghoulish, macabre deaths. So let's be in prayer for the Spirit's work around the world in this, for this reason and for the only hope of the ravages and fallout of the babies and the women who must always plead for mercy and change in the hearts and souls of all involved. But because of the fall Right, sin has decimated our world. Because of the fall and the curse on creation, our demise begins from birth. From birth we grow and we develop and we reach that point where we begin to very noticeably go downhill, so to speak, in our physical capacity. And this is a consequence of Adam's fall into sin because death is not natural to us, Right, you remember. It's not natural for us. It's not as it ought to be. Right? God created all things good Right in Genesis. All things good. Death is a consequence of the curse. But even as we waste away under the curse, the effects of the curse, God is continuing to what? To sanctify us in our inner self. And that inner self is continually renewed. And slowly but surely we are molded and conformed to the image of our Savior Jesus Christ. Our old sinful nature with its habits of sin are continuously mortified and weakened as we, as regenerate people, as people made new with new lives, new creation, we are being strengthened through word and sacrament by the power of the Holy Spirit, working through word and sacrament. In our weakness and myopia, we can see all seem that this is merely and only painful and hard, this process of sanctification. The Lord working on us, bringing us through life, bringing us through these things. But this is the process of the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life. And we all go through it. And through it, we shouldn't despair, right? Even though we are wasting away outwardly. Because we know that inwardly, we're being strengthened. We're being conformed. We're, our souls are being tuned for glory, uh, John Owen said. And I've said it many times this normal Christian life, it is the victorious Christian life. You want a victorious Christian life? This is it. The Lord working in and through you to grow you to be more like Christ. Because it is life in Christ. Life that God grows by his means and providence. It is victorious. How could it not be? We read in Romans 8 towards the end there. Those whom he justified, he glorified. Now, we do not lose heart. Even though the effects of the fall show themselves more and more in our lives. Right? Our, our eyes betray us. Our, hairs betray, our hair betrays us. Right? Our hearing goes bad. Our minds betray us and all the rest. These are some of the physical consequences of sin. And even so, and even under all of these things, we can rejoice. We can still rejoice, dear Christian. Because at the same time, Christ is inwardly renewing us, preparing us for eternity. He strips away from us our reliance on ourselves and all the things of this world, this fleeting world. And if viewed from temporal, worldly, physical perspective, it can be pretty miserable. It can be a miserable experience. And for you young and healthy people as well, this can seem like a downer, right? This is what I have to look forward to. But when viewed from the big picture perspective of eternity, which Paul exhorts us and tells us to take, we will not lose heart. We will not lose heart. Because what? He says, though though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Day by day, and then he goes on for this light, momentary affliction is what is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look, right as we look in this life, not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. but the things that are unseen are eternal. Like Paul here, and when he says this, he's not minimizing the struggles of sanctification, or the afflictions that we face, or the sufferings that we must go through. When he speaks of this process as momentary affliction, he's not making light of it. The point of the verse is is that we must have the right perspective. We must have our perspective corrected. We must view all of these things, all this suffering, this sanctification, these afflictions, from an eternal perspective, right? From the vantage point of the age to come we would see that even in a very long life, a very long life of strains and trials and difficulty, that life is still relatively pretty short, especially when compared to eternity and the glories of heaven before the face of God. That's quite remarkable when we think about it, right? It's quite remarkable what a a perspective change and blessing that is when we reflect upon that. Just how short our lives are compared to to our eternity in heaven. It's awesome. right? It's an amazing thing. And what's more, Paul says that our sufferings and our struggles, they still yet serve a crucial purpose. right? They serve a purpose. They're part of his plan. Because they what? He says, they prepare us for that eternity. They prepare us for something so wonderful we can hardly conceive of it. We can hardly grasp it. Paul calls this the weight of glory. The weight of glory, the eternal weight of glory. And the main word for glory in the Old Testament is kavod, weight, heaviness, importance, honor, glory. And that comes over in the Greek as the word, where we get our word doxology from, glory, to glorify God. But it's doxos, to glory in God. It's a weighty, glorious thing, what our afflictions are preparing us for. right? Massive, huge, incomprehensible. And this is a way of saying something is too heavy. It's too huge for us to get our minds around. When Paul speaks of things unseen there, he's not saying that heaven is a place of the invisible. Right? That's not what he's saying. It's not the place of invisible things. He's saying that these are unseen in the sense that we are not there yet. From our perspective now, we, are not, we do not yet see them because we're not yet there. And truly, we will not be able to fully understand all of this until we are finally there. Time will give way to eternity. Right? That's a wonderful truth and promise in fact of Scripture. And the temporal, right, things of this time, which will pass away, will give way to the eternal. Things that will, are permanent, that will not pass away. And so Christ's people long to be with Jesus as we endure the struggles of life. This is what Paul will say in the next chapter. We walk by faith. We walk by faith as we long to be with him and trust him. We look beyond our weaknesses and our affliction and our sin to the salvation that is ours in Christ and to the glories of the age to come. Brothers and sisters, we are fragile vessels. We are jars of clay. We are wearing out outwardly. And we must face the inescapable results of the curse which is death. Thankfully, and praise God, for you who this is true, the veil over our minds and hearts has been taken away through that message of the cross. And so we have the knowledge of God and the hope of eternal glory because we are heirs of the new covenant, ratified, confirmed in the blood of Christ, by the blood of Christ. Our failing bodies will one day be transformed because we have been given new life, We are being sanctified and grown daily by the Spirit. And one day we will be raised from the dead. And however much we dislike it, we don't fear either the day of judgment to come or the decay of our bodies. We do not lose heart. We do not fear these things. Why? Because we will be raised in resurrection bodies. And we will live forever in the presence before the face of God. Glory in that, dear Christians. Glory in that. Delight in your Savior. Delight in your salvation in Jesus. And although we can't yet see this with our own eyes, because it is still yet to come, even though we grasp the promises through faith now, even now, all of this has been achieved for us by Jesus Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. Let us be strengthened in our hearts. Do not lose heart, brothers and sisters. Know and believe that your dear and precious Savior is preparing you, is preparing you for the amazing glory that he has earned for you and promised to keep until you arrive. Look to that day, brothers and sisters, and that glory, even and especially in the midst of your struggles and your weaknesses. Trust this Savior. Glory in his love for you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we delight to give you praise. Lord, we thank you for the promises you've given us in your sure word. Or we pray that you would help us to believe what we have heard. Help us to trust the reality that we will indeed be one day made new. Lord, help us to trust you when you tell us that you work all things for our good and Lord, that you will be glorified in all of them. We pray that you would be glorified in all for all of our lives. Change us, grow us, change our attitudes and minds and our perspectives, that we may more faithfully and more trustingly live those lives. All for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in this morning. Uh, if you'd like more information. Uh, about Providence, if you're in the greater Fort Wayne area and would like to visit us, please go to our website, ProvidenceFortWayne.org. If you'd like to give, if you were blessed by this message, if you'd like to have more information about the faith or about growing in your faith, uh, we'd love for you to get connected with us. Thank you.
1: We've set up a simple way for you to give to our church online. If you want to give a quick gift, enter an amount, select a fund, Then enter your email address and your first and last name. Then enter your payment details and click Give. And that's it. We'll send a receipt to your email address. To use a saved payment method or manage a recurring donation, you'll want to log in. Click the Login button and we'll send a code to your phone or email account. Verify the code and you're in. Now your payment info is ready to go when you want to make a donation. To manage your giving details, switch over to the My Giving page. Here you'll see more ways you can give. You can also add a payment method, a bank account or a debit card, set up a recurring donation, and view your giving history. To get started, visit our website or download the Church Center app in your Android or Apple App Store.